growing up, I had no clue that I was gay. Uh, talk to other guys who are gay, they say they always knew. I really didn't. I had no idea. I, I knew that I wanted to suck dick. <laughs> but I didn't think that made me gay. I had no connection there. <laughs> I thought it was just something all guys did. I thought it was like all guys jerk off and all guys fantasize about blowing other guys while they're doing it. I was like, that's just normal. And, um, <laughs> ages of 13 and 18, I fooled around with a lot of my guy friends. And uh, and they were straight guys. I mean, you know, we all were. We, uh, <laughs> we were. We had girlfriends, and we read Playboy, and we talked about tits, and um, flew each other, and I was like, that's what straight guys do. And the only real difference was that they listened to like Led Zeppelin and Def Leppard and shit, and I listened to Evita and Sweetie Todd. <laughs> It is 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time. There, now I can hear myself. And you are listening live, perhaps, to The Adam Sank Show. I am Adam Sank. You are in the ass. My ass is open to the wind. Stick it in. Here I am. Romaine, what do you have to say about that? Never mind. All right, so I'm here. We had it all set up, and then uh, it got Hello. fucked up. Listen, you guys, I am here with ADD Jeff. I am here with Katie on the board. I'm here with the beautiful Orlando, the sexy intern. Um, and we are coming at you live from Times Square today. It is hot as balls outside, and uh, there's no air conditioning in the Derek and Romaine studio for reasons that remain a mystery to me. So I am doing the show shirtless. And uh, I may be pantsless but before you're not in the, the chat room, so no one can see that you're. Pantsless. Well, you can turn the fucking computer around, Jeff, and people can see <sighs> me that way. I don't know why it's got to be on you anyway. Hey, I'm in the chat room, bitches. What's up? Anyhow, today's show the theme is where ass meets bush, because uh, my special guest live in studio is the legendary. Charles Bush, and I don't use that term uh, in air quotes. He's actually legendary. Um, I get that not everyone knows who he is. You should. I will explain why in a little bit, but Charles will be here, and we will be talking about the five, uh, Charles's top five movies that every gay man should see before death. The top five movies every gay man should see before he dies. And uh, we want to, in addition to get his list, we want to hear your list. So call us at 844-TALK-DNR if you want to give us uh, your favorite uh, gay movie of all time. Now, when I say gay movie, I don't necessarily mean a movie about gays. I don't mean like the Broken Hearts Club or the Boys in the Band, although I suppose those could be on the list. Um, I mean uh, a movie that has gay appeal, widespread gay appeal, um, movies that have become iconic in the gay canon. And, uh, and I am speaking primarily about gay men, although I do think lesbians, many lesbians enjoy the same kind of humor uh, as we do. I hope they do. Jeff is shaking his head. So, no, they don't. I don't think that they do. <laughs> some of them do. I, know, I have some campy lesbian friends. I know it's not like Romaine's thing. It's definitely more like Derek's thing. But um, but yeah, ladies, you can call us too. Let me say something about calling 844-TALK-DNR because there seems to be some confusion. Jeff 
is our call screener in the sense that he's putting the calls on the air and he's and he can tell me who's on the phone, but he can't actually talk to you guys. No one can talk to you until you're on the air. So when you call in at 844-TALK-DNR, all you're going to hear is the show, and you may be on hold for a while because I may not be able to get to your call right away, but stay on the phone. Don't hang up. Don't get discouraged. We know you're on hold, uh, and as soon as you hear a... That means you're on the air with me, and I'll say call or you say what. Okay? Good. Um, I've written myself like a thousand reminders today. Okay, I need a theme song. Um, I, I'm going to be here next Saturday and the Saturday after that, and perhaps more in the future. Who knows what the future holds? None of us may be here uh, you know, Donald Trump may start a war with North Korea. You never know. Um, but if I ever come back, and for the next two shows, I would love an opening song. So um, I challenge you, the listeners. I know that uh, many of you are creative and you've done this for DNR. Um, don't use any music that's licensed. It has to be original music. Um, and, you know, make it dirty. Make it funny. Talk about the ass. Talk about me. Um, make it about 30 seconds long. And if we, uh, if we like it, and even if we don't like it, frankly, we'll play it because we'll probably only get like one at most. But if we do get several, we will uh, we'll play them all and we'll have a little competition as to which one should become the official ass theme song. Um, please tweet about us today. Hashtag ass on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we want to know that you're listening. I got great feedback from you guys last time and it means the world to me. And the more people that demand ass... Uh, the greater the chance there is of my doing future shows here on the Derek and Romaine Radio Network. <sighs> that was exhausting. All right, so this is a huge weekend um, for LGBT people and their allies because it is the weekend of the Pride March in Washington, D.C. Um, over 200,000 people are flooding into the nation's capital. That's the expected number. Um, for the uh, National Equality March for Unity and Pride, as well as the usual Capital Pride March that goes on every year. So um, D.C. is the place to be right now. I wish I could be there. If you are headed down there, if you're on your way or you're already there, please call us at 844-TALK-DNR. I would love to get a live report. Um, I spoke to my friend Walt uh, earlier today, and uh, he's down there from Little Rock, Arkansas. He has already had sex with a really hot, big-dicked Israeli oh, Jesus. who barely speaks English. And then today, he was going to have sex with a hot, well-hung Latino, but then he found out that the guy was staying in one of the Trump hotels. Oh, And no. uh, so for political purposes, Walt said uh, ixnay to that. But, um, but shout-out to Walt if you're listening. I'm glad you're, you're showing your pride down there by having as much anonymous sex as possible. Um, so if you're doing that or if you're doing anything else in D.C., let us know. Speaking of pride marches, we got some controversy down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Gays for Trump have been denied a parade float in their pride parade. Now, let me give you some context for this. The Charlotte Pride Festival and Parade happens August 26th and 27th this year. Why they have it in August, I don't know. It's probably hotter than balls. But that's when they do it. And... Uh, a group says that Charlotte Pride, which is the official organization that organizes all the events, is pushing them out of the Gay Pride Parade because they support Donald Trump. One of the, uh, the Gays for Trump members, Brian Talbert, says, quote, I'm very proud of my country, proud of my president, and 
was once proud of my community. Hold on one second. Jeffy, talk to, uh, talk to Charles, please. Hello? Uh, he says, uh, I was once proud of my community. Um, he, his truck has a Trump-Pence bumper sticker on the back and a not-liberal sign on the back window. He says, quote, I'm very proud of my vote. I don't regret my vote. I will vote for Donald Trump again. I'm proud of my president. I don't think I should be vilified because I'm proud of a U.S. president as an American. Now, you should know that his group, Gays for Trump, is not affiliated with the other Gays for Trump, which is based in Greensboro, North Carolina. Apparently, there are separate North Carolina Gays for Trump groups. Um, This same guy, Talbert, says it was going to be fun. We wanted to be energetic. We wanted to show that we weren't the racist, bigot, misogynistic, dot, dot, dot. We wanted to show that we are Americans, love our country and our president. So Charlotte Pride sent the group an email denying their application for afloat. Uh, A spokesperson for the organization said in a written statement, quote, Charlotte Pride reserves the right to decline participation at our events to groups or organizations which do not reflect the mission, vision and values of our organization, as is acknowledged in our parade rules and regulations by all groups at the time of their parade application. In the past, we have made similar decisions to decline participation from other organizations espousing anti-LGBTQ religious or public policy stances. So here's my question. And and this time, before I give my opinion, I actually want to hear from Jeff. Should the gays for Trump be allowed afloat in the Charlotte Gay Pride March and Festival? Should they be allowed? Yes. Uh, but I think if they were allowed to march, I think there would be an uproar from the gays that are watching the parade. They would be booed. They would probably have crap thrown at them. So I can understand the decision not to allow them to march because right now I don't think the gay community is very accepting of our current president and his political views. Uh, But, you know, it, it, it is kind of funny that we're marching for, you know, equal rights and for all the things that we've been fighting for for so many years. And then to deny one of our group, the, you know, to be able to march and express their political views as well. Uh, it, it, it's, it's almost, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, whatever. You know, <laughs> double-edged sword. <laughs> I, I more or less agree with you. Um, I definitely think they should be allowed to, to march and to have a float. And I wouldn't say that about every group out there. I, I wouldn't say... For instance, that the Westboro Baptist Church should be granted a float or that the right. Ku Klux Klan should be granted a float. Because when you organize a march, your march has a mission, right? There, and, and, and that's you get a permit for a specific purpose. And their purpose is to spread LGBTQ equality. Right. So if you had a group like Westboro Baptist whose mission is whose mission statement essentially is God hates fags, then that would be counter to... Um, the, the point of the march and, and the mission of the march. And, and I think you can make a, a really strong case that, 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 uh, that they not be allowed to, to march. With Trump, it's a little tricky. I know that Trump is a terrible president uh, for everyone, mm-hmm. including the LGBTQ community. But I can't prove that in the way that I can prove that Westboro Baptist Church hates gay people and is anti-gay. You see, there's a, there's a distinction there. Um, so here's, but, but here's my other, so yes, I think they should be able to march. And also I, I, every year there's this kerfuffle in New York city about the, the, um, St. Patrick's day parade, Mm -hmm. which is a massive parade of, um, of people of Irish heritage. And it's also the, the, the 
Roman Catholic Church in New York City is, is heavily involved in the parade. I think they're one of the parade sponsors. And every year, this group of LGBT Irish people want to have their own group, and every year they're denied the right. And I've always said that that's bullshit because they're not anti-Irish. They're in the same spirit of the parade. They are Irish. They're celebrating being Irish. They just want to do it while also saying we are gay people. Well, and that's the same that could be said for the, the, the Trump supporters. Exactly. They're gay people. You know. That's exactly right. So, so if we're not going to deny the gays from marching in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York, I don't think we can deny the gays for Trump from denying, from, from denying, from marching in Charlotte Pride. That said, I wish there were no gays for Trump. Maybe if they retitled it something like gays uh, who support the president and that not necessarily say a name. And if it was something that was longstanding and they'd been supporting every president for a while, that would be totally different than gays for Trump. Yeah. I don't think that that would be that, that group wouldn't be saying much. I mean, no, I we all know who the president is and, and they've, they're very passionate for whatever reason, um, because they have had a blindfold on and their ears clogged for the last year and apparently haven't seen everything that we've seen. Um, come out of this man's mouth and Twitter account and pen, they think he's doing a good job and that he's fit to be president rather than, um, you know, being a completely irrational toddler with no impulse control and absolutely no qualifications to be president, as well as being just a massive sexist, racist, homophobic, Islamophobic piece of shit. Well, I mean, this is it's always confused me about the log cabin Republicans in general. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are obviously people that are thinking with their wallets instead of about the equal rights of our community uh, or, I don't know or what about they're gay thinking. rights in general. I, I don't know what they're thinking either. But the only thing I can justify it uh, is by thinking that they're thinking with their pocketbooks instead. Yeah, but th- even that's stupid thinking because the, the American economy always does better under Democrats. Always. You can look at the historical data. Right. They're looking at the tax portion of it, though. So, you know, there's been a recession under every Republican president and a massive recovery under every Democrat. Check your fucking history books, people. Don't don't you know, turn off Fox News and actually read a book and find out about what Roosevelt did for the country, uh, what Truman did, what Kennedy and Johnson did, what Clinton did, what Obama did. Carter had a, had a rough time, <laughs> but Carter was only there for four years, and he was more the, the beneficiary of, of an economy. But anyway, my point is, uh, listen, you're, if you're an LGBT person, you have the right to believe whatever you want. You can be conservative. You can be Republican. You can be libertarian. I know there are people listening right now who consider themselves um, conservatives, Republicans, and gay. And it may not make sense to me, but I respect your right to have your own opinion and to vote how you choose. It is very hard for me to understand how you can, even if you're a Republican or conservative, how you can continue to support this particular president. I just don't get it. When I listen to this man speak, all I can think is, how? How can he be president? He's so dumb. He's so, he's, it's just on a basic level. Like, even if what he was saying wasn't so offensive, and even if all his policies weren't wrong, he's just not bright. And I don't know how other people don't get that after listening to him for two minutes or after reading his insane tweets. But anyway, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens down in Charlotte. The other, the other reason why I want them to, to march is, um, because <laughs> I want them to be stoned. No. Oh because, my no, I'm gosh. Kidding. I'm kidding. No, because, because, uh, I don't want this to become another cause celebre for the right. I don't want them to go, oh, look at the liberals. You know, they say they're free speech and they say they support 
uh, diversity, but look, they won't allow the the gays yeah. for Trump to. I just that, again, just like with Kathy Griffin, I don't want to give them any ammunition. I want us to maintain our standards throughout this political nightmare, no matter how hard it is. We believe in freedom of speech. We believe in the right to assemble. We have to defend people whose speech that we hate. We got to do it. True. Was uh, there any response from the, the group that uh, got the denial? Did they? Yes. They said, uh, for a group of people to claim to want tolerance and acceptance yeah. and give it to every single person you can imagine to give it to, for them to sit back and judge me for exercising my right as an American, I should be doing this with a Southern accent, to choose my leader oh, without judgment is hypocritical. And that's stereotyping right there with your Southern and accent. Yes, it is. I don't judge them for how they vote. I believe men and women died to give us that right to choose our own leader. They don't extend the... Me- <laughs> They don't extend the same courtesy to me being a gay Republican. True. Oh, I forgot to mention this. Um, Talbert plans to file a lawsuit, of course, against Charlotte Pride for discrimination. And he has started a website. You're not going to believe this. I'm not making it up. (sighs) Deplorablepride.org. Wow. I just gave the website of a pro-Trump organization on the air. So don't say that I'm not fair and balanced, Jeff. Okay. Oh, you got upset when I told you that last week, did you? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I, I, I re-listened to the show like a hundred times this week because mm-hmm. they just Derek and Romaine kept playing it on an endless loop, which I loved. Um, oh, h- honey, I'm sorry. You can bring him up any time. I don't want him to wait down there. Yeah. No, he's in the lobby. Oh, okay, yeah. Come go get him. Uh, so apparently, char- actually, give me like two minutes so I can just get the listeners ready for this. So our guest today, and he's already here, but like they're not letting him in the door. <laughs> he's... <laughs> Yeah, Kate, Katie, turn your mic on if you're going to talk. I don't know what the fuck you're saying. Well, she's she's in our lobby. I He's know. sitting down. She's wondering it. why you're talking about all the behind-the-scenes shit like on the radio. Downstairs. I'm He's breaking upstairs. the fourth wall. This is what I do on the, on the Adam Sank show. <laughs> do you have that, that ass soundbite? Yes. All right. First, play that. Okay. Ass open to the wind. Stick it in. Here I am. All right. So I understand that the original ass open to the wind drop that Romaine did is missing. But Romaine needs to re-record that because she sounds way too happy in this new one. The old one, she sounded really bitchy and judgy. She was. And she, it was, she was like, I think it was about someone's Craigslist she ad. Was, yeah, she was bitching about something. So, and yeah. she was like, I can't really do Romaine's Wyoming accent, but it's like, ass open to the wind. There was no accent. It was Stick it in. Ah. Here I am. It was and in this one, it's like she's so happy. She's like, ass open to the wind, stick it in. And so it just doesn't have the same impact. Remain, if you're listening, and I'm sure you will listen at some point this week, re-record that and sound pissed off. It's It shouldn't be hard for you to do. She's in the chat room. Hi, Romaine. Ass open to the wind, stick it in. Here I am. Like she sounds like a game show host in the new one. Right? Yeah. Um Okay, so let me talk about Charles Bush before we bring him in, because I feel weird talking about someone when they're sitting right here. Um, so Charles is an extremely important figure to the uh, to LGBT culture, um, and I don't really refer to many people as important, but he's important because he's a he's like a bridge um, between sort of really old school drag, the drag of the of the '60s and '70s. And what has become sort of the modern drag scene. He, he, he's a pivotal figure in that. Um, and by the way, Charles hates the word drag queen. He prefers just performer or female impersonator or actor. Um, he is all those things. But he's also uh, an incredible playwright. 
And in the late 70s, early to mid 80s, he started uh, performing in New York City and became an underground cult figure and wrote a series of plays in which he starred as the female lead. Um, and he, he, they became a sensation in New York. The most famous of these was Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, which ran off-Broadway for six years, which is like unheard of. You know, things don't run off-Broadway for more than a few months usually. And it toured all over the, uh, the country. Um, and then later he did Die, Mommy, Die, which he ultimately made into a hilarious movie with Jason Priestley and Natasha Lyonne, wonderful movie that you should uh, watch. And he stars in that as well. And then in the late 90s, Charles wrote a Broadway show called The Tale of the Allergist's Wife. And it was one of the first and only plays he wrote where he wasn't in it. He didn't cast himself. It starred Linda Lavin. And it was a huge Broadway smash. And Charles won the Tony. He's a, we're about to have a Tony Award winner in the studio, Jeff. I don't know if you appreciate that. You to- I do appreciate it. So he's just... Thank, thank you, Orlando. And please play that when I introduce him, because last time Frank got no applause, it was very embarrassing. <laughs> so, um, but what I love most about Charles, just as a person, because I've gotten the opportunity to meet him and, and get to know him a little bit, is he's just a font of knowledge about um, the golden age of Hollywood. He, he's an encyclopedia uh, of, of classic movies, and especially campy movies, campy movies that appeal specifically to gay men, and of course to many others. Um, he knows everything about them. He actually appears sometimes on um, on Turner Movie Classics uh, with Ben Mankiewicz, and he introduces these films and discusses them and, and shares his knowledge. Um, and I believe that he just walked in the door. He did. So, ladies and gentlemen, Charles, oh. you got to sit down and put your headphones on so I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Please oh welcome Christ. the legend, Charles Bush. Hit it, Orlando. Oh, my God. The studio audience is going crazy. I never knew there was such love. Charles, I'm shirtless. I know. And here I dress for the occasion. I wore long long pants just now. You're wearing a fabulous Givenchy gown. (laughs) I told you it was radio. I don't care. When I leave the house... Every day, I'm every inch the star. <laughs> I know that's true. <laughs> Charles, I was just telling people, because, so here's the thing. I, I've always known who you are. To me, you're an icon. And I feel like the world is divided into two, pe- two camps. There's the people who think you're an icon, and there's the people who have never heard of you. There's no in between, right? It's going to be this kind of show, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to, exp- I was trying to explain to, to the few listeners who don't appreciate and understand how important you are to gay culture... Who you are. Well, I have a theory about fame. Yes. Adam, I think if someone's mother has heard of you, you're famous. Most people's mothers have not heard of me. However, their, their children, in some cases, uh, think highly of me. Absolutely. I also feel like it's a regional thing. I feel like you're one of those uh, celebrities who, like, everyone in New York and L.A. knows who you are. Right? Mm-hmm. Pas necessaire, my dear, pas necessaire. <laughs> no, you know, I, I tour. Well, that's all I do now is, is travel around with my, um, my cabaret act. And you know, I've played about 25 cities, so they, uh, I leave a trail of admirers. Of course. And, you're, and the cabaret act is your first time, I believe, performing cabaret out of drag. Well, now, yeah, I'm transitioning, as they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's an interesting, interesting thing because um, I've been doing this for, for almost five years now, this whole latest chapter. 
and the thing I love about cabaret, as opposed to being in a play, is that you really are projecting a, a version of yourself that has to be really pretty damn close to who you really are. I mean, it's like what you do a stand-up. I mean, it's I, I'm sure you dial it up just a tab, but it's it's who you are. You're being yes. being honest to Adam. So that's what I love about it. And you know, and I in my act, I tell true stories about my experiences, and then I sing songs by Sondheim and the Beatles and. Marilyn and Alan Bergman. And so it, after a point, it did seem a little odd. Why am I in drag at all? At the, so I'm now trying it out now, seeing what it's like without a wig on. And, and how does it feel? Because uh, I love it. The few times I've, I've performed in drag, yeah. first of all, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm just a terrible drag queen. I don't look good. Really? I, the last really? time you looked pretty good. I would think well, you have pretty nice features. I would think you'd look good in drag. Well, so the, Jeff's talking about uh, when I, I, I was on a retreat with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, of which I am a member. Uh-huh. And there was a professional makeup artist who who's also a, like a, a pageant, a drag pageant title holder. She did my makeup. And oh, it was, you posted them on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was Shatanya Face. <laughs> I thought you were beautiful. I mean, I looked okay. I think I looked like an old Jewish woman from Boca Raton. I, I think I looked <laughs> like my Aunt Marsha, frankly. <laughs> but, but, but what I was going to say was, so when I'm doing stand-up, I, I am as much myself as I can be. I'm as vulnerable as I can be. Those are the kind of comics I've always liked or people mm-hmm. who just got on stage and were real. And no matter how humiliating or embarrassing their stories were about themselves, they were going to tell them. Yes. And when I've been in drag on stage, I feel like there's this fucking wall mm. up between me and the audience. I feel like I'm wearing a mask. You are. And thank you. <laughs> and when I think about like my favorite drag performers, I feel like they are characters. They're not actually themselves. They've created this larger-than-life character. And for you, it's particularly interesting because you've created a number of different female characters that you've portrayed over yeah, the years. Yeah, well, it's, been, it's a very odd thing because I agree with you. I, I, generally, yeah, but with me, it's, it is odd because now, you know, if I'm in a play or, or, or a movie, you know, I am playing a different character. But um, I guess over 40 years of doing this, at a certain point, it just became so comfortable that the, the line between role and who I am just became very kind of um, ethereal. It just almost does, and it, to a point that it really didn't exist, particularly doing the cabaret act. It, it, it seemed like I really could be myself and still look like, Tina Louise and Gilligan's <laughs> Island, and just you know, kind of dial up the femme a bit. I mean, it was it, it was an interesting thing. A couple of years ago, we were performing in London, and Sir Ian McKellen came to the show. Oh wow! And it was very exciting. And afterwards, I was chatting with him, and he said, "Oh, it's it's so marvelous how you always remain in character. You always are that woman." And I thought, "Oh my God." Because I'm not acting, right? So I could, didn't tell him. I am that, that woman. Oh, I thought, well, it's kind of me, except like an old Philco. I just dial up the brightness and the contrast. It's, that got me to think that that maybe um, maybe I don't need the drag. Maybe that's Salome's last veil. <laughs> so I'm so I experimented because actually the thing is, whenever I perform one number at a, at a fundraiser or you know anything like that, I'm I'm never in drag. I always do it as myself. So it's really not that big an adjustment. And I did try it out one night to see would I really like it or would I feel somehow constrained and and I actually felt more outrageous out of drag. Isn't that funny? It is. Oh, but I get it because that's how I feel. I feel like the drag for at least for me, it just separates me from from the audience. Yeah. And whereas being naked, I mean, you know, I'm doing a naked comedy show right. this Wednesday and I've done them before. 
it's I hate it because I don't really like people seeing my small flaccid penis, but I love it because I'm never funnier than when I'm naked. Like that's the ultimate interesting unveiling. Is that yeah. so you can like sidetrack them from the penis? And yes, I try very out? hard to distract them from my small penis. No, I mean I talk about the penis. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's the noise my penis makes. <laughs> When it's on stage. But have you done this, um, or you're about to do this? I've done a number of naked shows. The new one. Uh, the, it's just one night at Eastern Block right. on so Wednesday has, night. Hasn't come up yet. So uh, yeah, big. and and when <laughs> I've done, <laughs> when I've done most of them, it, it's been at like a nudist camp, so it's right. it's normal to be nude because the whole audience is. This yeah. is like I'm just in a gay bar. Everyone's got their clothes on except for me and the other comics. We actually have a woman who's I coming out at the end. She's going to show her nude tits and pussy. I thought you had done this in a regular comedy store or um, so club before. I did it with Daniel in uh, like kind of an empty loft space twice, mm-hmm. and we were those were hugely successful. We were sold out both times, and then once at the Ice Palace in Fire Island, which was not so successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ice Palace proved to be not a great room for it's not a great room for stand up. Period, but particularly naked stand up. Yeah. I think that? the Fire Island boys thought that they were going to have kind of kind of see a sex show, uh-huh. and it, like my comedy show is not sexy. Whether I'm naked or not. Were you, uh, were you the only one performing at the... At no, the we had others. We actually had this naked contortionist, this little blonde boy who was absolutely scrumptious. And he was doing like flips and, you know, tricks. And, and How I mean, was that not sexual? To me, that was really a pleasure to watch. But he, <laughs> yeah. he just came out like in between acts. He was kind of like an interstitial... I like that. Uh, sometimes I like that kind of backstage view. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Behind so, the scenes is always better. <laughs> so, Charles, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past few years because... You and I are always invited to the same Hanukkah party. <laughs> and and every time I see you there, I have to remind myself that you're Jewish. Because to me, you nothing about you seems I'm Jewish. I'm not really out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like a closet heeb. I'm kind of, yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm very out when I write a play that is a, a Jewish theme. And then I'm giving, oh, also to interviews the Jewish forward. And I talk about how I'm deeply and profoundly Jewish. Right, you find your Judaism every <laughs> yeah, time you need to sell I something. Made it. And otherwise, I'm just like, uh, oh, 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 yes, I, I, my, well, my, my, my sister's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> but not high. <laughs> but you and I always wind up in a corner uh, kibitzing. Uh, I go to that party now, really just hope that I run into you. Oh, that's sweet. I go for you and the food. There's, an enor- there's a mountain of free wonderful. food every year. But, um, thank you. But you and I always wind up, uh, it feels like, talking about um, classic gay films. And I look to you as, uh, as you know, you just know everything about the golden age of, of Hollywood. It's, it's reflected in the work you've done, in the plays you've written. Um, and to me, it's, it's the epitome of camp. There's a real camp sensibility that you get more than, than most people do. Um, and so I first want to, before we get to your list of the top five movies that every gay man should see before death... <laughs> I want to know how you define camp. Oh, God. Oh, that's... I'm leaving. Right. <laughs> I'm leaving. No, Su- it's, it's Susan, so difficult. Susan, Susan Sontag, in her famous 1964 essay, called it Failed Seriousness. Well, see, the thing is, it's, it's, um, there are many elements of, of what makes something camp. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, some camp is, oh, that it's so, it's so bad that, that it becomes campy. That, that's fun. And I certainly... Personally, don't identify with that because I wouldn't want people just to see how oh, he's so rotten that right. they think it's funny. Um, you know, it's also a celebration of the excesses of pop culture through a gay lens. Right. That sounds pretty good. Uh, and then there, there. I mean, it's interesting. Like, like Judy Garland. Today's her birthday. Ah, oh, happy uh, Judy birthday, Judy Garland. Judy. Is not 
camp because she's just people just really enjoy watching her today as they would years ago. I mean, she's honest and she's however, she could be a campy woman. Her sense of humor when she would be on her TV show or being interviewed was campy because it had kind of she her humor is like what gay men joke about. Right. Yeah. But it, t- to me, it's always been about an exaggeration of manners. Like a, a, of a, everything that that we observe about society, blown up a hundred times to the point where it's it becomes ridiculous. It becomes uh, yeah. absurd. And there are all sorts of elements too. Like in my, I've discovered that some of my plays have uh, supposedly a camp quality. It even goes as far as certain concepts about a character. I have a theory that it's camp when a character drops the ma- a mask, like the. Um, you know, the grand dame who suddenly uh, drops it and she's uh, saying a wisecrack because she's a cheap dame from, you know, uh, Hackensack. Right. That's, that's campy. So it, it, there are concepts more than even just the fact that, oh, it's, um, you know, somebody's wearing a big wig. So, though, by your own definition, sometimes it's on purpose when it happens. People call something camp pop culture or something. Yeah. Other times it's intentional. Right. I mean, I think there have been movies over the years that were meant to be very serious right. Right. and right. failed, right. and they become camp classics. Yeah, I think there's one on the list. There's one of, yeah. one of those right. on our list. Right. And then there's other movies, that are some of which are also on the list, that I think whoever wrote and directed the film said, we're, we're going to make this over the top. We're going to make this a bitch fest. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's sort of intentionally campy. And I, I love all of it. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to explain to young gay people why the, these kinds of movies are important. And and what, what, how they inform us? Well, now this 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 list I came up with is a list of uh, someone who's how old am I today? Uh, <laughs> who's uh, 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 could be pushing sixty or could have pushed it already? She's a uh, woman of a certain age. Yeah. So I, you know, it's listen. So they're they're more, much more recent films like Showgirls and stuff. That of course that's an old movie now too. But I don't know burlesque. I guess a couple years ago yeah. people think of that as a camp film, right? With share. But so, but my my list is is that of an old, older person. But I'd still think that my list is actually important. If a young, let's say there's a young gay guy is at a party and there's going to be a, a group of people that spans several decades, not just his own generation, like the Hanukkah party we like go the to. Hanukkah party, and you don't want to feel like a, a nitwit or just or have things just go over your head. I think these would be very good movies for you to to know. All right, so let's start. We're going to go. It's backwards. Not necessarily my favorite movies either. Right? You. No, I know. Oh. So let's start with number five. Okay, what was that on your on your list? <laughs> so that list is. Uh, I'll tell you what. We're going to play the clip, and then you tell us what it is. Go ahead, Katie. Hello. We're, uh, we're having. This a, is the one that we weren't sure if oh, it was gonna work. You didn't get it back. I pulled the new one. It's, it's not playing either. Gone. So we, twice we tried to pull clips from this movie and they refused to play. <laughs> it's the women. Uh, okay. Tell us about the women, Charles. The women is from 1939, and it's just one of the. It is really one of the great fun film comedies, and the, it was based on a successful play in the 30s. And the, the gimmick, in a certain sense, that it's all women. It's about it's about a group of very sophisticated bitchy society women in in Manhattan and how they're you know it's, they sort of destroy each other's lives with you know great glee and great scheming against great, one another. So it's the Real style. Housewives of New York City. Yes, it's really basically. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I would say that whoever came up with the Housewives, maybe Andy Cohen, I guess it was 
might well have been thinking that it's a contemporary version of the women. And an incredible ensemble cast, right? Oh, yes. All the top stars from MGM at the period. Joan Crawford and Norma Shearer, who was the first lady of MGM. Very forgotten today, unfortunately. And um, Rosalind Russell is hysterically funny. Joan, Font Joan Fontaine. And, and anyway, the gimmick of the movie is, is that there are no men anywhere that even the dog is a female dog. <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's very clever how they sort of scoot around us so you never actually see a, a man. And Joan Crawford, probably in her cuntiest role, right? I mean, she's, well, she's really so, a it's villain. It's her funniest role, too. It's very, I, I love her performance in, in The Women. You know, it was a very risky thing for her. She, uh, her career in the late 30s was just had peaked and was just about to um, fade a bit. And so she needed a shot in the arm. And so she um, took the role of, of the kind of the villainous uh, man trap, but she's very funny, and in a way, she's she's she so not plays for sympathy that she's almost a little bit sympathetic, because yeah. you know, all she just wants is uh, is to settle down. Jeff, are you waving at me yeah, or people happening? in the no, chat No, 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 sorry. I was okay. waving at people in the chat room. Um, there's people in, live in our chat room. Everything's interactive. Don't, oh, oh, pay oh. no attention to the bald man behind the, okay. the computer. Um, okay, number four is the most recent of all the movies on the list. Play a clip from that, please. You love to make me hit you! Joan! Barbara, please! Please, Barbara! <laughs> Leave us alone, Barbara. If you need anything, ask Carol Ann. <laughs> this is wonderful! You! You deliberately embarrassed me in front of a reporter! Now, of course, <laughs> that works as a radio play. Right? It really does. Yeah, it does. Of course, it's Faye Dunaway in Mommy Dearest. And I would say a classic example of a movie that was not meant to be campy. I'm, yeah. I do. I don't know. I'm, I wonder a bit. I, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't think she thought it was going to be campy. But I do think that, that the director had. Uh, you think so? Yes, because there's some crazy things going on in that movie that, you know, when she's in this, where the scene continues, she ends up Chokes her daughter, yeah. jumping on top of her daughter, tackling her on the f ground, and and you know, and it's horrible. But then, it's a little campy that that you, you actually you, you see the daughter's panties. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I think the director, uh, if he if he had no I, no interest in camp, he would not have shown her panties. But it's one of these films that when it came out, it was, I think it was universally panned. Yeah. Everyone said it was awful. Um, some people said it, it, it wasn't accurate. You know, some, there were a lot of defenders of, of Jones that came out right. and said that she wasn't like this, including one of her own stepdaughters or one of her own adopted daughters, yeah. rather. But, um, but in time, it became a classic movie in its way. Well, people were, well the, the gay boys were, went to it immediately. In fact, I, I, I saw it the very first day it opened. And it was packed, and it was, and and I, I took my aunt with me, who had raised me, and and uh, <laughs> before it started, she, she said, "Why am I the only woman here?" Uh. And I said, Shh. And then at a certain point, she said, "Why?" Whispered to me, "Why is everybody laughing every time she hits that kid?" <laughs> uh, so I'll explain it to you later. Oh. Why did you go? Did you go because it was about well, Joan Crawford? Well, or well for first of all, it had been a best-selling book. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah, it was a big best-selling book. And there was big expectations about the movie, and Faye Dunaway was a big star, and you know it wasn't like some little movie right, that okay. was under the, you know. And, and so I think every every all the all the gay guys knew that it was going to be 
campy. I think pre- yeah, you had to be there. Pretty much every gay guy I know, even the young ones, have seen Mommy Dearest. But if you haven't, that's a good. Uh, a and there's stream- certain streaming. all these movies have certain key lines. Barbara, please. Barbara, yes, and uh, my mother a, actually. Uh, made why me watch are it. hangers? Why are no, yeah. hangers? And I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, what is it? I'm not. I'm not I'm one not of your fans. Your fans. Yeah. That's, that's when that's she gets later in right. the same yeah. scene. Yeah. There, I, I had a million clips to choose from. Our next film, speaking of being raised by one's aunt. Um, ah. is Auntie Mame with Rosalind Russell. I, I couldn't f- pull a clip from it. I tried. Really? And you couldn't it's find one, one? You know what it is? It's one of those movies. There's so many hilarious moments, but you have to see what's going on to it's really get vis- it. It's a very visual movie. Right? Yeah. The costumes, the look of it all, and, and there's a lot of physical comedy. Yeah, no, it might be tricky. Now, yeah. I've loved Mame my entire life. I was young Patrick when I was 10 years old in a community theater oh, right. production of Mame. So it's I've, I've always de- identified with that character and with the movie. But tell me why this is such a classic among um, any gay man who's ever seen it. Well, the history of this movie was first it was a, a best-selling novel by Patrick Dennis. Then it was turned into a, a hit stage play. Then this movie that we're talking about. Then later a hit musical. And then a terrible movie based on... With Lucille Ball. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of... And each time it's... Each time they do it, it, it kind of gets... T- toned down more but this this movie i i th- well i think for a lot of gay gay men she's a anti-mame herself this free spirit stylish uh outrageous woman is is rather you can actually identify her as with her as a, as a gay man you know she's basically sing, single parent and, loves to drink uh, yes you know, throws you, lavish parties uh-huh yes and then uh, is sort of saves this this child who then later when he grows up saves her you know it's a um it's very beautiful uh primal emotional story what year did it come out the movie i believe is 58 and what i what's interesting about that is so so you hear you have the 50s which is sort of this return to to really strict conservative values and you have mccarthyism and then anti-mame comes out and it's probably the one of the most progressive liberal message movies it's like when people complain about liberal hollywood this is what they're complaining about the the uh the the uptight square suburban Mm -hmm. racist you know they're all made to look like fools and the the freewheeling bohemian accept anything you know uh they're the heroes you know it's interesting interesting then years later ab fab what i thought was interesting about that was it was the reverse that they're those two ladies were so outrageous that they were kind of um, rebelling against the politically correct. That's right. They were rebelling against their 60s childhood. Yeah. Um, and MAME, you know, really was a rebel. And MAME has a lot of, I think, for its time, shocking elements to it, including, you know, Agnes Gooch getting pregnant yeah. um, after MAME encourages her to go out into the world and live, and she comes back pregnant. <laughs> it's such a great film. It's hard to explain why it's so funny and why it's so charming. You just got to watch it. So if you're keeping score at home, number five was The Women. Number four was Mommy Dearest. Number three was Auntie Mame. Uh, For number two, we have a lovely little audio clip. Hit it. I distinctly remember Addison crossing you off my guest list. What are you doing here? Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must pray it again soon. Uh, You remember Miss Caswell, don't you? I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Art. (laughs) <laughs> so that's the incomparable Betty Davis. And the other woman is? Marilyn Monroe. And then there's George Sanders. Yes. Also. Well, this 
many people would consider this the perhaps the wittiest film ever to come out of the Hollywood Golden We're Age. We're talking about All About Eve, all by about the way. Eve. Yes, uh, written and directed by uh, Joseph Mankiewicz. Yeah, no, it's just a, this is a classic movie, and, and I think it would be very good for any uh, young gay fellow to, to know this movie. Often people might quote from it or, or refer to somebody as, a, as an Eve like character, and then you would know what they're what they're saying. It's, it's it, once again, you know, the, what makes sometimes what makes a movie really a classic is when there is this very, at its base, uh, just a, a a primal issue that anybody can identify with. So this movie is about a, a, a aging uh, st- Broadway star. And by aging, we mean forty. She's, she's forty, yeah. But she's you know a, a mature star, and she. Uh, meets a young a young fan who she named Eve who she brings into her life who then conspires to take over her career and her husband and and everything and that's kind of a ba- you know you, you can see that as an analogy for something that happens in every walk of life in an office or every you know whenever there's an established figure and some new person is trying to uh, scheme to 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 make it yeah it's it's interesting to the that these movies that were that I chose, now I'm thinking that in some ways, um, f- feminists would would say that these are all endemic of of a the male uh, tro- trope of of that that of women hating each other. Right, because all all of these are about. Well, Mame's not really bitchy. She's, no. she's actually very kind yes, to her, her, best, to her female her, friends. And her best friend Vera is her great sidekick. That that one does not. But you're right in terms of the women and Mommy Dearest and All About Eve. These are not, uh, let's say, very attractive women in terms of their their, yeah. their personalities. But I, do th- I think you know it's interesting. Um, I worked years ago on a, on a Lifetime TV movie. Oddly enough, that never went too far. But it was it was adapted from a non. Um, Nonfiction book called *Tripping the Prom Queen*, and it was a very interesting book because it was written by a woman uh, from with a feminist point of view, but saying that because women have have such a narrow slice of the pie right. that that to make it o- often women have to end up uh, having to defeat their their own somebody from their own gender right to well, to. to to get that, like most, like most tropes, there's a grain of, of truth in there, or it wouldn't have become a trope, right? I mean, yeah. women are successful. Women can be very cutthroat and can be very, and, very. And sometimes maybe they have to. They tend to do that because of, of dealing, being in a, a man's world, being in a sexist world yeah. where, where there are such, you know, just a few crumbs yeah. for them. So they're not going to share their crumb with another woman. Yeah. But Betty Davis is so sensational in this. I, I think it's probably recognized as her best perform, her greatest yeah, performance. It's certainly up there. She looked gorgeous in it. She wears yeah. fabulous gowns, um, some of which have pockets. I don't know why I remember that. There's one particular well, gown with pockets. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, well, it's interesting because she's um, she's this very flamboyant uh, stage actress, and yet she's um, she's very, uh, in a way, sort of pragmatic. Yes. And uh, you, you don't fuck with her. And so she's, you know, uh, so it's nice that in her evening gown she has pockets. <laughs> And, and, and toss, dr- tossing her hair and, and drinks and smokes constantly. Yeah. I mean, she's never not without a cigarette and a martini glass in her hand yeah. for the whole movie. But it's a great movie. It's a long one. You have to, it takes a little bit of patience. The first twenty minutes, I find deadly dull. Mm. That whole award ceremony right, sequence, right. it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. But it, stick with it. It really is a, a a classic film. And then we get to the number one. Drum roll, please. 
Look, they drummed you right out of Hollywood. So you come crawling back to Broadway. Well, Broadway doesn't go for booze and dope. Now you get out of my way, because I've got a man waiting for me. That's a switch from the fags you're usually stuck with. At least I never married one. You take that back, you get your hand off me. All right. Oh my so, God. It's a witch. Give me back my hand. Her hand is on your shit. Give me. Hey, take me the red hand. Give me that damn you. <laughs> the original wig snatch from Valley of the Dog. Oh, there's the drum roll. <laughs> Is this a high-tech show, Charles? Yes. We are, uh, we're, we're A-list here. Um, no, so that's, of course, Valley of the Dolls. Which uh, is one of the more recent films on your list. It's only as, as late as the 60s. Oh, it's so pathetic. So sad. And, um, and what I love about that scene, so if you've seen it, Susan Hayward is, uh, is Helen Lawson. The original Helen Lawson was supposed to be uh, a Judy, Judy Garland, and she was too drunk to, to basically to, to hold on to the role, so they replaced her. Wow. Right? Is that not true? Well, that and she had married a fag, right? Well, it's a, she married a lot it's of fags. Sim- simplifying a complicated situation. But more or less, that's yeah, generally speaking. So, so Susan Hayward she, on Judy's birthday. I really, I, I'm, <laughs> I, listen, I'm not going. I'm just not going there. I adore Judy, and <laughs> alcoholism's a disease, and I don't, you know, I, I don't criticize her for well, it. She wasn't really drunk. I think it was more the fact that she was terrified, and she realized that it was kind of a tacky movie for her to do, and that she was being exploited just for her past, putting her in this role in the first place, and. I think that she didn't really want to be. I get the feeling she didn't really want to be there, and and then they didn't treat her very well. She the first day on the set they sort of kept her waiting for hours and hours and hours, and then I guess at that point she, different enablers came in and started giving her pills. And by the time she sh- she showed up, she couldn't really function. Way to bring down the room, Charles. Yeah, what a well, bummer. you know, it's well, not, you know, I. I I would go with Charles's version of events yeah, over mine know, any yeah. day because he I knows way more about this show. with her, and it's her birthday, and so there we go. Certainly don't want to beat up on Judy, who, no. whom I love. Yeah. But what I was going to say is, so, so Patty Duke, at the end of that scene, snatches this sort of very Ethel Merman-like wig off of Susan Hayward's head, and of course the character is based on Ethel Merman. Um, and when she snatches it off, She's got plenty of hair underneath. She, her hair underneath is actually nicer than the wig. Well, it's, and I love to. It's campy. So when she first rip, pulls the wig off, Susan Hayward's white hair underneath is all kind of a big mess. Right. And then they cut to the next shot, and it's perfectly done. It's all feathered it's and all just put in place. Done. Well, you know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, we did this uh, one-night uh, all-star stage reading of um, Valley of the Dolls for a a benefit for the Actors Fund, and Martha Plimpton was in it, and all sorts of wonderful people. And I played Helen Lawson. I played uh, the of course. part. Yes, and I did, we really did, went for it, and I had a white wig underneath the red wig. And my friend Julie Halston, who's been in so many Brilliant. shows with me, and funny lady, anyway, she was playing a little small part of the attendant in the <laughs> ladies' room. Now, when you do these big fundraisers, it's hard to get everybody there at the same time time you just rehearse some people something so so julie wasn't present when we actually rehearsed the wig snatching moment so when we she it wasn't until we were actually on stage in the at the moment when um heidi blinkenstaff who played neely (laughs) 
pulled off my wig and Julie said that she just, you know, she's my closest friend. Suddenly this bile came up and she, her first instinct was to start to strangle Heidi Blinkenstaff. <laughs> she wanted to protect you. Yeah, this is so sweet. Now, did you have the blonde hair underneath? I had the white hair underneath. No, <laughs> we, went, we went for it. Give we us went. a little Helen Lawson. Well, of course, we can talk dirty, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, it just, you know, in the, it's, it was also based on a famous no, novel, big bestseller novel. Yes, by Jacqueline was, Suzanne. Was, yes, and there was a line that uh, Helen Loss said in the book that I, that, that I always like that's not in the movie, where uh, they're talking about some, whether this girl should be the ingenue in the show, and Helen Lawson says, you call that Nanjanu a fucked out redhead with big tits? <laughs> shade. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Yes, the shade bell is going crazy. My favorite line is, there's only one thing that comes out of a Helen Lawson play, and that's Helen Lawson. <laughs> and that's me, baby, remember? I guess the, the most famous line is the one we just heard. Yeah. They've drummed you right out of Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and then she says, at least I never married one. Because, of course, Patty Duke has a gay husband. In the movie. It is such a ridiculously campy movie. That's one where I think they probably knew that it was absurd as they made it. I think there is some element there. But once again, I don't think the actors were in on it. Yeah. And and, and interesting with Patty Duke, because, you know, this was she had won an Oscar as a teenager and had a hit TV show. But she really wanted to break into adult roles. So she thought this movie was going to really establish her as a great adult dramatic actress. And then it, it turned out to be just kind of a huge embarrassment for her. And, and for years, like Faye Dunaway, who will never, you can must never mention right. Valley of the Dolls in her presence. Even Mommy Dearest. Mommy Dearest. It was sort of like that with Patty Duke. But then later she got older and she started doing touring around, doing theater the the queens and the different shows would you know call her Neely and uh, and then she she lightened up and she would they she would embraced have it. they'd have you know pizza parties and watch the movie and and she would she I think appeared at the Castro Theater in San Francisco at a screening she just went for it which I, which I think is just fantastic it's a it's a tremendous cast and it's also um, it's a very glamorous looking movie I, the women are dressed so beautifully and styled so beautifully Sharon, poor Sharon Tate. Um, who would end up dying at the hands of the Manson family, uh, one of her few movies that she made, and she's so radiantly beautiful. Gorgeous. Um, I, I recommend getting together with a group of your gay friends tonight, drink a little Chablis, smoke a little weed, and watch Valley of the Dolls. You'll lose your goddamn minds. Yeah, but this is, see, and there's a difference between these movies that, what we were talking about. Now, Valley of the Dolls, you can watch and you can sort of laugh, in a certain sense, at it. Yes. Whereas All About Eve, you're going to be laughing just because it's so witty. Yeah, and the women, same thing. And the same with the women. And Auntie Mame. Yeah. All right, so in the remaining time, I just wanted to very quickly, because you are a woman of a certain age, I wanted to give my list of the more recent top five movies oh, that every so game man should see. so sad. so behind the <laughs> He's times. evil, yeah. By the way, you're not much older than me. Okay, uh, number five is Paris is Burning from 1980, which I feel like... Um, 1990, excuse me, which I feel like informs uh, modern drag, particularly for those of you who are fans of RuPaul's Drag Race. Wonderful movie. Everything you're seeing on RuPaul's Drag Race was first seen in Paris is Burning. Uh, Nine to five. Oh, really? You would consider that oh a, my a, God. a gay yeah, favorite you, movie? You don't think? I can see why you would. Three, three, three bitches great, great, tying great, up their great. boss. It's a ladies. hilariously funny movie. It's a real feminist movie. 
And it, it's one of those movies that hasn't aged. I watched it the other day, and I thought it was just as funny as when I saw it as a child in 1980. Uh, Tootsie, 1982, I think one of the best movies of all time, period. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one of the best female impersonations, you know, yeah. caught on film. Yeah. You're not being enthusiastic. No, I no, I love Tootsie. No, I love that. I love that movie. And yeah, yeah. 1989, Steel Magnolias. You got to have Steel Magnolias in there. That's a movie that, for gay men of my generation, anytime that movie's on, we're going to watch it. It doesn't matter how many times we've seen it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I cry every fucking time at the Sally Field yeah. funeral. Right? Why? Well, I want to know why. <laughs> why? And it's not. It's not campy at all. It's really serious. But. But there's something so delicious about that whole movie and the interplay between the yeah. women and, and the relationships they have. Yeah, yeah. And the number one on my list of five modern gay classics is Die, Mommy, Die. Oh, the Charles die. Bush film uh, from 2003. If you guys haven't seen Die, Mommy, Die, you must watch it immediately. Oh, thank you. Was that as fun to make as it is to watch? <laughs> oh, I have to tell you. You know how... Often in life, my dears, often in life we, we don't appreciate the moment until it's over. I loved every split second making that movie. Nice. I just couldn't believe, you know, we shot it in 21 days in L.A. And every single day, I just thought, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. It was so magical for me. Jason Priestley plays a, a sort of a hustler with an enormous penis. Yes. Which we never quite get to see. But what was he like to work with? Because I've heard that he's famously difficult. He, really? Is that yes. what they say? Yes. Oh, he was a doll with me. No, he was fun and, and good-natured and got a kick out of the whole thing and, and was very generous in a way, too, because then when we later did publicity for the movie and, and the focus really was on me because you know, I was the star of the film and uh, he was just very, very gracious. Uh, you know, when we, we have a love scene where we had a kiss and I got all sort of rabbity. I'd never, first of all, I'd never played a love scene ever and or certainly not in a movie and then you know it's kind of i i wonder if i'm sure other gay actors have had this experience where, where you're you're going to be kissing a straight guy and you don't want them to think that you're coming that on you're to into them. it right yes yeah, so, so i don't know i was all weird but he was such a pro and taking my head and sort of telling me this is the angle to do it because the camera's got to see you this way and no he, um he, he was great i, I mean i um i must say one point we were shooting a scene where we were in a car and there was rear projection behind us and we were in the studio and it was very low budget so they didn't want to pay for air conditioning. <laughs> it was sweltering hot. I'm in a cape and the thing. It was a <laughs> you wig, got the wig and the makeup. Wig and, yeah. and we're in this you know, vintage car and Jason Priestley is is big car fanatic. So we're sitting there you know, waiting and waiting and he's just going on about this, oh, dude, oh, this car. And I'm thinking, now this, I'm with this guy that a lot of people think it's, a, it's sort of sexy, and, and I just can't wait to get out of here. Get the hell out. Charles, you are a delight. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Uh, people can follow you on charlesbush.com. Yes. Uh, you'll, you're touring throughout the country. Tonight you're with Lipsinka at the Angelica. No, no, at the Anthology Film Archive, wherever the hell that is downtown. So if you're in New York, come check that we're out. Doing Die Mom we're doing It's a screening of Die, Mommy, Die. Hilarious and we're movie. talking afterwards. I'm Adam Sank. You guys next week, Suzanne Westenhofer. We'll see you then. Was that the end of your show?
Derek and Romaine presents Adam Sank. You just heard a bit of Derek and Romaine. If you like what you hear, you should be subscribing to the new Derek and Romaine show. Subscribing has never been easier or cheaper. So for less than seven bucks a month, you can get a ton of great stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like you can listen to the live show that airs every day on weekdays from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, you can also get a personal URL to stream the live show and download past episodes on your favorite podcast app. You've been listening to Derek and Romaine for free. Isn't it time you started paying and subscribed to the all-new Derek and Romaine? 